Kai. It's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine Saint Clair. All aboard! Welcome to a brand new episode of Crazy Train Podcast with yours truly. This week, I've decided to bring on someone who I thought was really cute. And plus, he's a New York Jew. When you know how much I like that because I like using my little um, Yiddish terms now and again. But most importantly, I know a lot of my male listeners want to know what it's like shooting porn, directing porn, especially in this day and age of things like Brazzers and Pornhub and all those other weird online platforms. So my next guest has a really cool book. It's called Filthy, The Rise and Pending Death. He's not dead yet. The Rise and Pending Death of Vic Legina. So let's welcome to the show, Vic Legina. Thanks so much for joining me. I, I have to call you Bubby because it's a Jewish thing. Just don't take it the wrong way if I call you Bubbles or Bubby, okay? It's totally fine. <laughs> totally fine. So I, because I, I know I'm going to screw up your name because it's so easy to screw up the name Vic Legina with Lick Vagina, which I totally know where this is going. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So those of you listening to the show, I think it's always important to have a male perspective on the adult film industry, specifically people that have a really cool story. So Vic Legina's book, Filthy, The Rise and Pending Death, which is important, of uh, Vic Legina, what inspired you to write this book? Um, my life was kind of crazy for a while, and I couldn't keep it all to myself. And I think a lot of it really came down to I... I had to start getting it out of my head into a tangible form, um, which was which was cathartic in a lot of ways, because around the time I started writing it, you know, I was going pretty hard in the paint uh, and the business can do that to you. And that gave me enough of introspection to take a step back and make some better decisions so I could land the plane softly whenever it was time to leave the, the business. So that's what inspired it. And it was eight and a half years in the making, really, the whole from start to writing to finish writing and, and getting it released. It's interesting because some people do books and I feel as though when your life's not, when it doesn't feel like it's fully over, like the crazy train has not stopped, you don't mm -hmm. write. Like you could write the journey there, but you got to keep going. And the yeah. pending death is perfect. But what really depressed me the most, and I explained this to um to Vic before we started was the fact that he left Florida. You had an amazing job there and moved to yeah. California. No, to um, <laughs> slip. That was good. You're not wrong. <laughs> okay, yeah. So Vic moved from a really fun, cheery place like Florida, and I love Florida, by the way, and ended up in fucking California with some girl where it's like. So much more money to leave even back then. Did you ever have regrets about that? No, no. I mean, look, the reality was is that Florida was nice and it was cushy. It was safe, right? And safe is not always the best course of action. I mean, sometimes you got to see what's behind door number two. And I felt that there was a plateau in Florida, especially I was a creative. I wanted to make television shows and movies and things like that. And South Florida really wasn't the place to do that. 
So yeah, every every shit show of a story starts with a hot, beautiful woman that you're in a relationship with, and she was moving to LA, and she wanted to know if I wanted to come with her, and so I did, and I left my cushy life in Florida and went to a more arduous path, uh, path in California, and um, it was it wasn't as easy. Let's just put it that way. It was uh, it was it was definitely a a harrowing road, you could say. Yeah, I could see that, and I, I get it. Sometimes the uh, when the two sisters start talking, you know, that's when you start listening, or any man with uh, half a brain starts listening, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which is a tough thing to do. What were your first impressions of the adult film business? Actually, better yet, did you even watch porn at all growing up? Sure, sure. I mean, look, yeah. when you're uh, say I went to summer camp, you know, when um, when you're <laughs> when you're Jewish, uh, I wouldn't say we were we we weren't rich, we were comfortable, so. Jewish parents kind of push their kids to summer camp so they could have their shtup time, as we call it. And the counselors, you know, they would they would have their porn and I would see the magazines. And, you know, you kind of learn that way. It's not unlike, you know, people coming across uh, porn these days. It's just not in the glossy format. So I was kind of fascinated and a little confounded by the hum- the female form. I was like... This vagina is meaty. This one isn't. There's bush in this one. So, yeah, I watched it, you know, um, and then you watch porn. You watch porn in college and then everything else. So uh, it, I just didn't know much about the business. But, yeah, I was I was a consumer, you could say, like like most people are. Yeah. That is disgusting. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, really. I'm joking. I guess at some point, some people start as fans. I never started as a fan, and I only watched one porn my entire life before I even mm-hmm. got into the business by accident, by the way. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was cool, but I just find it so fascinating that you have this Jewish upbringing, but then here you are, this big porn director at one point yeah. in your life. When you first got into this, what was your initial thought of being on a set? Were you shocked? Were you, like, disgusted? Or were you uncomfortable? <sighs> No, I wasn't uncomfortable, but I definitely knew that once the camera started rolling on that first scene, that I stepped over the line. You know, I was like, okay, we're going into another territory here. Um, The only thing I was really disgusted at that day was when I smelled crack in the air. That was when I was like, okay, this is a a little filthy. This is a little gross. But um, the actual day, aside from... Nick Manning being an asshole and mm-hmm. screaming at the cameraman because he couldn't keep his dick hard and all that. It was a pretty interesting day. I mean, we got four scenes done that day, which I would say was a productive day. And with the last one being my my first day on porn, I shot Ron Jeremy. So you're oh. like, oh yeah, so it was, it was very surreal. That's for sure. But that day led to other things. You know, you meet people and then you connect more bridges. And uh, yeah, I met some people and then it just kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger, especially when I went back to Florida, you know, because the relationship wasn't going so smoothly and I was getting myself very much in debt, which is why I shot that first porn scene anyway. Um, And when I got back to Florida, and I went back to some doing some mainstream stuff. The difference was porn paid me before I even shot one frame of video. Whereas when I was doing the commercial and corporate as a freelance producer, you get paid a couple months after you shoot. 
So it kind of became a no-brainer in terms of what's paying me quicker and faster. And um, during all that time, when I started finding the leads of where you, where you where a content producer would find leads, that's when I met the guys who would become Brazzers. Yeah. And the, uh, the girlfriend went as expected. Um, and the debt went away very quickly because <laughs> I, I, I set goals for myself. I did. I, I was like, make five grand a month. You'll be out of debt in a year. And I was out of debt in 10 months. But then I had this business, uh, this burgeoning business because I delivered what they wanted and I didn't fuck with their money and I delivered them quality. So you have this thing, you're like, well, I could either take the safe path again and now just, you know, work just a normal jobby job, or we could see how far this Brazzers thing can go. And it, it went far. It went to a 20 year career where I now am set up for life, you know, because I worked hard and I didn't reproduce and I didn't get married. You know, that was, that was the oh, other yeah. parts of it. Yeah. Of course. I mean, so, I always tell people this. It's like once you meet someone, okay, and like you're going to get married and stuff. And this doesn't apply to the producer, by the way, because uh, yeah. he's not the example of this. It's like <laughs> a Jewish marriage almost. Sorry. But I mean, there's uh -huh. no more fucking head, right? Then it's like yeah, a miserable thing where you have the woman like beating you down however she can. I, I mean, are most Jewish men trained to have abusive women like just beat them down emotionally? Well, see, there's the thing. So, so <laughs> as, as, as what we call non Jewish women, we call them shikses. Yeah, and my great, yeah, my, my great grandmother Rose, the first thing she said to me is, don't marry a shiksa. And whatever reason, it had the opposite effect because all I liked were the shiksas. Now, it didn't help that I was the only Jew in my class and I was surrounded by shiksas. So, you know, but like I, I watched my friends, my Jewish friends and their wives, and I was like, you know, you, you're going to get murdered in the divorce by this woman who's going to hire the best lawyer with your money. I saw it time and time and time again. And I was like, I mean, listen, Jewish women are great in a lot of ways, but they're tough in a lot of ways as well. And I think I'm too strong headed and too independent for something like that. So I never went down that path. Yeah, I don't, I think shiksas have shiks appeal anyway. I had this line of clothing years ago called Tuchus gear, right? And I <laughs> okay. made this shirt. Actually, you would have been the perfect model. It was mm -hmm. um, a white shirt with like dark blue ringer. It said, I heart shiksas on it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, people got offended by it. I thought it was cute. Like, there's nothing wrong about dating a shiksa. Seriously, I'm a shiksa. My first boyfriend was Jewish, but because mm. I wasn't Jewish, that was like a huge issue. Like, I have matzo balls. It's no problem. Uh, right. um, yeah. Not those types of matzo balls you're thinking <laughs> right, of, by the way. Right, right, I know. Right, right. <laughs> or my table here today. Um, but. I think it's just very interesting. And, you know, in porn, a lot of people don't realize, yeah, there are a lot of Jewish people that are in the business aspect of it, not necessarily like the gold chain waddling yarmulke. Yeah, with one. the high, high and the hairy chest. Yeah, like, you know, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about right there. Yeah. Uh, no, it's interesting. I, I remember when I would see a fellow tribesman in the business and I would be like, uh, see, it was interesting seeing performers who were Jewish. You know, I was like, that's interesting. But one common thread with every Jewish, either performer or producer, successful. They always found success. They always um, made it through porn and had something to show for it. So that was that was one thing I could always see uh, with, with, with the fellow tribesmen in, in, in the business.
Herschel Savage, I mean, the late, great Herschel Savage, what a wonderful yeah. person. And I met his mm -hmm. son years ago, lovely person. But getting back to this Nick Manning thing, you're saying yeah. that you smelled crack in the air. So was it like the ass crack of the performers or was it just no. like someone was smoking crack? Someone was smoking crack. Like right away, you know, I, I was told it smells like a burning electrical socket. That's what someone told me. And sure enough, I smell it. And I'm like, that's weird. And I walk by a room. And there's two people in the room and they're just kind of like, they freeze, but they're, they're smoking crack. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's lovely. That's, that's, that's marvelous. Yeah. Great. But that kind of made me realize that that's not what I wanted to run my sets like. And I wanted to be sure that when someone came to my set, there was no crack lingering in the air and there was a professional atmosphere and someone felt safe and they felt like they could be their, their best performer uh, because they're in a safe environment. And that's what I strive to do. And it worked for a very long time until the world went a uh, little mushuga, as we call it, around 2017, 18. That's when the, the Me Too's and, and then COVID and all that stuff happened. And I was like, yeah, the rules don't apply anymore. So I think I'm done here. And that's really what it was. Yeah, there are quite a few controversies around adult films and safe spaces. So I did porn in the 90s and I never felt like unsafe. And I put myself there. I could read a model release. So I knew what I was signing up for. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the characters I had to work with, though, uh, I don't know. But sure. um, you, I want you to describe what to you is a safe environment for a porn set. So I'll just take you through a day. They show up. Okay. Hi, I'm Vic. I'm your producer. It's nice to meet you. Let me know if you need anything. Here's your release. Please read it. Here's your script. Please read it. If you need anything, just let me know. And just a welcoming, warm, non-creepy environment where we're here to do a job. It's that simple. I mean, it seems so so easy, but some so many people fuck that up. They make it so difficult. But it was like, I just want to get done so I can hang out with my dogs and you know, uh, fill up my bank account and then move on to the next day and the next day. And I think the original owners and I would say the subsequent owners to a certain extent appreciated that about me because it was like, we're here to work. Sure, we're going to have fun. Sure, we're going to have sex at some point, but, you know, on our own time. But that was not the reason to do this. And if you don't give off those weird, creepy vibes, people are going to want to come back and work for you, especially if their check's clear, you know? It's funny you're, men you're mentioning checks clearing in front of me, like in this conversation. So you must know something from somewhere, possibly. But um, yeah, I, I've been the I've been on the other end of like a Metro Home Video check bouncing at one point. Mm -hmm. I was just so like livid, and that was the '90s then. And you couldn't like really get like a wire transfer, and like what do you do? Do you get like I don't have a suitcase pimp, so you know I don't have a suitcase pimp to collect my money. Like what do I do next? But the money cleared finally. Because I had to shoot a gangbang a few months later. Um, testing and so forth. How was it changed? Because I know how we did it back in the 90s. What changed and like how did you monitor that? It just seems like nowadays there's always some kind of uh, outbreak because it's regular people shooting sex. So if you're looking for the safest and coolest way to bet online and the most variety, of course, of games and like almost anything you could bet on, stop by betonline.ag because I guarantee you there is something for everyone. Yeah, yeah, the evolution of the testing was interesting. Now, when I started in Florida, you know, we did HIV tests and all that stuff, but we also were shooting with condoms back in Florida. Mm -hmm. That was like condoms was, was like the norm.
when I came out to, to Vegas, which, which is basically LA, cause I was bringing everyone from LA to Vegas to shoot. Uh, it was, it was the, it was aim with three things for 30 days, HIV, chlamydia and gonorrhea. And I'm not a doctor, but I know there was like eight more things that should have been on that panel. So I was like, okay, this is a little, uh, weird, but okay, this is the norm. And it wasn't until there was like outbreaks after outbreaks. And then the infamous syphilis outbreak of 2012, where then it was like, okay, we need to start putting more on there. And 30 days is stupid. So let's do it 14 days. And Manwin, which they were at the time, were running for that. They're like, we are only, we're, this is, this is the standard. And despite the Dr. Evils, you know, Derek and some of the other, uh, some performers and some other agents screaming, that's too much and it's too much money. That was like, I was like, well, this is actually very reasonable. And now it's the norm. It's standard. But you do touch on something because the talent pool swelled so much with normal people and their OnlyFans. Now you've got new stuff like mycoplasma genitalium. What is wow. that? Yeah. Mike, it's called MGen. MGen. That was, that was the latest thing that they have to now test for. MGen. It's, it's another kind of bacteria that, is affecting people, you know? So you got that, you got the antibiotic resistant gonorrhea and chlamydia. Yeah. I like when all this shit started coming out, I was like, I'm so happy I'm out of the business now because, because like the job was already crazy enough with all the shit I had to jungle on a daily basis. Now we got to worry about something called MGen. Okay. You know, it just, I, I actually feel bad for performers. I really do. Cause it's, it's a lot. There's a lot. Stop calling them fucking performers. It's an insult, okay? No, you're I'm right. No, actually, I'm like, I'm I agree so with you. Insulted right now, like you don't. I'm like so offended. Like my neighbor, I found it as on OnlyFans. You got to see this fucking slob, dude. She is a Slobovian. Like they need to bring back body shaming because of people like this. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Bad. Listen, I, I I agree with you. Um, uh, uh, being a performer, a good performer, was something people yeah. aspired to at one point, but then it became a bunch of um. Uh, trigger-happy influencers uh, who are willing to play with the penis on camera. That's really what it was now. So so do we call them talent? No. I mean, are they talented? No. So what are they? They're, they're, only, they're, they're content creators? No, they're glorified cam people. These are glorified okay. cam... These are people who are being forced in our faces. These are people that if they did not have a camera and all this other shit, they no one would be... If there weren't so many desperate men out there and 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 on COVID, none of this shit would be happening. Okay. Yeah. yeah Sorry, right. I got a bit much sugar. I'm sure Lainey told you I got very much sugar sometimes when it's Manusha. <laughs> okay. But Manusha took us much sugar, yeah. Like I love these terms. Yeah, they're they're all great. Yiddish, Yiddish, <laughs> they're great words. You know, like use them. People should use them on a daily basis because they're so good. These words. But people don't get it in California. Um. So you're in Vegas now, but between this time, okay, so. Clearly, like sometimes I make comparisons back from the 90s and when you started, you were in the early 2000s. I mean, we had people getting arrested sometimes for things like in the desert and so forth. Did you ever have any brush up with the law regarding, um, you know, where you were shooting or what you were shooting? So I always, okay, I had, I would say three incidences that I talk about in the book. Do I talk about the book? One really wasn't that big of a deal, but it's always funny when you have a complaint because they don't just send one cop, they send four cops. And 
it's like it's really odd. But when the the uh, prologue of my book is when I shot a live show uh, in the backyard, a live orgy, and literally 15 minutes before, like after I wrapped, the cop showed up for excessive profanity in my backyard. That was what the call was for. And I bullshitted them a little bit, said I had a, was having a party. The party's winding down. Sorry, it got loud. And, you know, look, I have, the funny thing is, despite the massive amounts of drugs I have done in my life, <laughs> I have never been arrested for anything. I am a upstanding member of society. You know, pay my taxes, pay my bills, never filed bankruptcy, never been inside a jail cell. So when they run my ID, they're like, all right, he's one of the good ones. And, you know, they, as long as you're respectful and kind, they go away. Um, the other time was when uh, Kieran and Scott Nails and my director almost got arrested because we we were shooting something with a um, a fake or a prop car, Metro car. And it was, the scene was with Genevieve Jolie and someone else, I don't remember. But we spent like three grand on this car. And in the shot that he, the scene that he shot, you see it one time, just go like that. I'm like, well, I'm going to get yelled at for that. So I told them the next day, go down the street, shoot some super trooper type of things, and let's um, let's at least have some production value here. Well, someone called in an officer in distress, and they sent the cavalry <laughs> down. So um, I didn't deal with the cops that day. I dealt with getting people out of jail that day. But we got the two scenes done. But um, usually, yes, y there's... I've, I've had run-ins, but nothing stuck. Nothing stuck at all. It was, it was a risk, but you know, it's part of the job. If you're, if you're smart, you can evade this kind of thing. So. Yeah. I remember reading about the orgy scene. It sounds like a, um, a lot to deal with. I don't know how you had the pay. Like you've got a great demeanor. I could tell that. And a very nice Thanks. personality. So I can understand how you dealt with talent, but do you ever, did you ever have perhaps a moment when you had to deal with a super diva? Sure. How do you deal with that? Because there are some guys that listen to this that want to know, you know, about doing porn and obviously the really tough points. How do you deal with someone that's like a super diva that won't, you know, doesn't want to do this, doesn't want to do that? Uh, you, you eat your shit sandwich with a smile. You see, I'm a very stoic person. And the people who know me can see it in my face that I'm, I'm raging inside, but I don't let it out. Because there's no point in doing that because it's not going to get you anywhere. If you want to get the job done, you gotta, you gotta eat your shit sandwich and you have to be pleasant about it and you have to be compromising. Okay. You don't want to do it this way. Well, how would you like it to do it? And <laughs> you just have to be cool. You have to be cool. Despite raging inside, you just have to be cool. And then when this, when the day is done, you tell the head office, I'm never fucking shooting that person again. And here's why. And then, you know, but that's it. But yeah, it happened quite a bit. Sometimes you deal with people who are literally batshit crazy. Like, uh, smiling and chipper one minute and then crying hysterically the next minute. And this is because nothing triggered it. It's just because they're mentally insane. And you're shooting them having consensual sex on camera. Isn't that a problem? Yeah. So I would be very forthcoming with the head office and I would tell them this is a bad idea. And they listened to me for a while until they, you know, kept pushing and pushing and pushing like they always did and would always say to me, well, you're the guy that can get it done. We trust you. So, yeah, I think it took a toll over over time. And I think really by the end of my career, I was over it. I just, I didn't know it. Everyone else saw it within me. They're like, you hate your job. You can just tell. I was even, here's funny. 
I was microdosing on acid on the last few months of, of my career yeah. just so I could be more pleasant. Yeah. So if that's not a sign that maybe it's time to hang it up, I don't know what is. Yeah, I've never tried the microdosing, but I get it. Like, it's that one moment when you're there and you probably think to yourself, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, this is a shit show. How do I, like, what am I going to do? What was your moment, yeah. your fuck up moment? I want out of here. Um, okay, there was a Spiegler girl, and usually the Spiegler girls were great, you know, and it was a girl girl scene, and whatever reason, the roles were reversed on the strip that she was getting, and she said to me, well, I want to play this part. This is this is what I studied for. Okay. But the site was called Hot and Mean. So she wanted to be the mean one. Okay. And the other girl, yes, she was hot. And she was telling the girl, no, you got to choke me. No, you got to do this. I wasn't saying anything. This girl was encouraging it. And she's like, frozen. like I, 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 just, I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay. So I acquiesced on you wanting to do this part. And I'm sitting there with you and I'm asking, like, okay, how do we, how do we make this better? How do we get this job done? I just don't know. I don't know. And I'm like, I've never had someone drain the energy out of, out of my soul like this person did. And I think that was when I was like, you know, it might be time to wrap it up because I liken it to the fact that, okay, so I just turned 50 this year. And let's say I had kids that were her age, that disconnect you have between a father and a daughter. That's kind of like it was between me and some of these younger performers that I just didn't know how to deal with and I didn't know how to communicate with. So, yeah, it became a very slippery slope. And COVID came and everyone took a break. And then I realized, you know, I was waking up every day happy and I wasn't shooting because I didn't have to deal with this job anymore. Because, you know, you you get the orders from the head office and then you pass them to your your crew. And I had a wonderful crew. But man, did they bitch a lot. I mean, they just complained about whatever. And it's like, yo, you're getting paid. I'm buying you lunch. It's a steady job. Shut the fuck up. You know, that was it. And then, of course, you have to deal with the performers under that. So, you know, shit just trickling down to the point where you're like, I need to go to a music festival and take a lot of drugs so I can be normal to do this job. That was where it was. It was a cycle. And in some ways, because the drugs started getting really bad and fentanyl, it's kind of glad I'm, I'm happy. I'm grateful the fact it ended because I might not be here because of the course that I was on. I mean, the ice was was definitely getting thin under my feet and the money kept me in uh, because, you know, it's like squeeze every dollar you can from this business. But things happen for a reason. And I don't you don't fight things that are happening a certain way. So I was like, OK, it's it's time to wrap it up. And you ask yourself, do I have enough? Am I OK? And the answer was yes. So. Why? Just just say goodbye to the money and say hello to happiness and peace. And that's really what happened. Well, Booby, you don't have like a wife or anything. So I, I imagine that you're well off. There's no wife, no girlfriend right. to hold you down. So of course, things right. are cheaper. It's cheaper to not have a girlfriend, guys. I'm just telling you, it's way cheaper not to. Um, it's true. It, unless she's like a fourth wave feminist that's going to like insist on paying for half of everything, then it could be maybe it could uh, somehow balance it out but i don't know it's just my thought um so with that said with all these different things going on in porn at the time you have this whole me too movement that comes up do you mm -hmm. think that's affected the quality of the scenes and maybe the quality of the performers and there's always this slippery road of like okay i'm afraid if this goes on that'll happen 
Uh, yeah, especially with the younger generation that don't know how to speak and communicate. You know, they, they operate independent of verbal cues. And when you're a performer on a set, you need to say, no, stop, I'm not okay with this. You need to say all that. You can't internalize it and expect us to read your mind or your eyes when we've got so many other things going on. So I think that, um, and I know it happens because, you know, in June of 2020, when the next round of cancellations was going on on Twitter and everyone was outing this and that, yeah. that was when uh, the company started implementing more things to do during the sign-in and sign-out process. Now, mind you, I called myself a professional plate spitter. You know, I had so many things going on in addition to running camera and making sure tomorrow's going to be a good day and everything's going well. Now I have to ask you 50 fucking questions. Um, you're like, you're an adult who's choosing to be in the adult industry and we're handling you with baby gloves. How about we don't shoot you and you shouldn't be in the business? Because if you're that sensitive and that thin-skinned, you shouldn't be in the porn business. That's reality. I'm all for safe spaces. I'm all for, for uh, consensual sex on camera. But you, there's a responsibility within the performers as well to speak up for themselves and know their rights and not be afraid. Because if someone told me they weren't down with something, I'd be like, that's cool. Look, I don't want you to have a bad day. I want you to have a good day. But if you're not communicating that with me or you're saving your vitriol for Twitter the following day or even two years after the fact of the scene that I shot, which was in my case, I was like, okay, if the office is going to validate this, I'm done. I can't. I can't anymore. It's, it's, too, it's, it's unsafe. I have too much to lose. Yeah, I was going to talk to you a little bit about that as well, because there have been some scandals that came out of, um, I should say, the browser's world. And I want you to discuss that a little bit, because I remember reading this, and I wouldn't say I'm ornery, but I'm very blunt, and I really don't give a shit. Uh, I just think sometimes people push it. Like people said things, especially during COVID to seem relevant or during this whole uprising of me too. I want to seem relevant. I want to seem important. Oh, let me go do this. Go, go do that. And we just dealt with a situation about three months ago at a wrestling company I work for. And I think this girl worked for Brazzers, but um, she's not welcome back. Uh, I want you to talk a little bit about that controversy. You know, there was a performer named Marcus Dupree who I will insist on this time the strongest performer, male performer, I ever shot in my entire career. I will die on Mount Dupree because this guy, okay, he's Russian, right? If you ever dealt with Russians, they're, they're very blunt. And I'm okay with it. I'm from the East Coast. We're very blunt as well. I mean, people call me an asshole because I was just very direct. I'm like, not being direct, just being, or not being an asshole. I'm just being direct. With him, it was like he would, he would come in the night before so he could sleep, so he can get good sleep, so he can come the next day and give 100% on screen. I can't argue with that work ethic because I was the same kind of way. So me and him, we vibed. Now, were there times where, where, you know, his energy was a bit much and it was like wrangling a kitten? Sure. But, you know, no one's perfect. But do I think he was an abuser? No, no fucking way. He wouldn't be on my set if he was an abuser. But if you don't know him or don't know the personality – then you can easily say that, you know, he's he's the director and he takes over and he's this and he's that. No, no. I gave my full trust in him because I knew he wanted every scene that he was in to be the best scene that he ever shot. Not going to argue with that. But if you take a 22-year-old who doesn't know this, who's timid, 
Well, first of all, they shouldn't be in the scene in the first place. And that's where Marcus would always be like, I'd be like, Marcus, do you like this girl? He'd be like, no, no, she's a piece of shit. And I was like, okay. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot, I wouldn't put them together. But sometimes the head office would try to shoehorn a performer with Marcus and we would see how it goes. And sometimes it went a little sideways. The performer in question, and I reviewed the footage again when I wrote the book and I struggled a little bit to, re to release her name. But mm -hmm. during the uh, meltdown of Twitter of 2020, she wrote a whole anonymous post, which I put in the book unedited because yeah. I was like, I had no idea this was going on. And I watched the footage again. And I realized that I watched the footage like right before the book was published to make sure I was getting the facts right. Because there's journalistic integrity in, in, in my book as well. I wanted to check out all the facts and make sure what I'm saying is about as close to the truth as possible. And I watched it and I'm like, there's nothing in this that would indicate to me that there was a problem that day of any kind. Uh, even to the point where in my audiobook, I include her sign out where I ask her, how did your shoot go? Were you treated okay? Were you asked to do anything you didn't want to do? Everything was with a smile. Everything was great with a little giggle at the end. Two years after the fact, she writes this post and I have to answer for it. And I'm like, really? Like it was released. It was, it was, it, it was even still on the browser's members area at the wow. time of publishing. I don't even know if it was. So they dealt with compliance all the time. They looked at everything. They screened everything and they didn't see anything. Yet she makes this anonymous complaint. Oh, now it's a big deal. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm not eating the shit sandwich anymore. And I was pissed. I was pissed. But I was like, if this is what we have to do now, okay. But then I realized it was time for me to branch out and try to do some other things and shoot some OnlyFans with some of the performers until I realized it's not even worth doing that either because getting them out to shoot and commit to anything was becoming a chore. So that's where I was like, I'm going to sell my studio, make a ton of money and retire. And that's what I did. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. Someone I'm actually really fond of said some wonderful things about you, Ava Devine. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's, I love Ava. she's, she's wild. I love her. Of course. Yeah. I, I, the wildest shit I've seen uh, was because of Ava Devine. As a matter of fact, she's all over my audio book because I pulled some audio clips from the, uh, the, the shoots I was talking about. And mm. Ava was, Ava was wild, but for someone who was so intense, such a sweet, nice woman. I mean, totally sweet. So, yeah, I um, I don't know. The whole thing was baffling to me. You know, the, the, the whole industry just became baffling. It wasn't my problem to figure out anymore. It was the generations after me. So. Yeah, I mean, this whole OnlyFans seems like a generational thing as well. You know, people can't really, you've got to be very careful who you hire to work on a set, obviously. And it is a very slippery slope indeed when you have this whole Me Too movement and anyone can play a victim card and win in the court of law, despite its effects are against them. And maybe that's where the whole OnlyFans came up with being flooded with people, so much content, because they can control it and they could do their own safe space shit. Did you ever meet August Ames? <laughs> So I've never been one to try energy drinks for too long because they're always really um, sugary. They amp you up. But I decided to try Tiger Life. That's T-I-G-E-R-L-Y-F-E. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with Joe Exotic. TigerLife.com. They have an amazing energy drink. Um, no sugar added. It's completely clean energy. It's made here in America. 
And they have a couple of really cool flavors. Um, it actually has cane sugar in it, which is pretty good, but zero sodium. So that means you will not get bloated. This definitely amps me up. Sometimes I do it when I am, um, when I'm about to do my live stream or if I just need a boost in the middle of the day. So Tiger Life, have some and make sure to put in the code Jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N for free shipping. Of course, I have this whole, okay, August Ames, when I met her, um, her when she was 18 years old, I mean, beautiful, acne condition, natural boobs, just just like really just nice and sweet and all that. Um, and I shot a bunch of scenes with her where sometimes we were goofing around and she was having fun. Sometimes she was all business and we were just going to get the day done. And, you know, she had the director guy sink his claws in and, you know, marry her so she can get her green card. But it wasn't until six months before she took her life that she reached out to me in now I look at it as a cry for help. Um, but she, she, it was, like I said, it was always business before, but then she was like, you know, I've always been, been attracted to you. And I'm like, I have no idea. I, I hadn't done anything. And then, you know, you're like, okay, but I thought you were married and I was always respectful of all anyone's situation. And I never was a guy to hit on people. You know, it's, it's funny when you don't hit on people, uh, what happens? They, they're like, why isn't he not hitting on me? And then they, they wind up expressing their interest. And that's, that resulted in a lot of, a lot of encounters from me. But I realized now that that was like her cry for help, that she really was having a hard time. And we started, I wouldn't call it a relationship, but a uh, bonding experience over, over a course of months where I, she would, she would talk with me and I would, I would try to prop her up and give her hope and let her know this world is great with her in it and things like that. And, um, you know, the scene that I shot with her was with, with Marcus Dupree was one that was up for a lot of uh, contention because it was used as a narrative as one of the reasons why she wound up taking her life six weeks later uh, like because that? she had this. That, well, that was one of them, uh, a scene with her that I directed. Yeah. And I again, you watch the footage and you're like, OK, obviously there's a fine line with a performer and she was a hell of a performer that is. Okay, she's selling the fact she's enjoying herself, but you don't know that she's internalizing such such pain. And I spent the night with her that night, and not a word, not a word, everything seemed cool. It wasn't until she went home the next day to her husband, and he saw the bruises on her body, which weren't from the scene. She had them already, okay? And he flipped out. And then he starts calling the head office about how Marcus Dupree was violent to her on set. I'm like... And then I, get, I start getting phone calls from the head office. What happened? I was like, I don't know. What happened? And I have this whole text message conversation with her about everything. And she said, look, he was, he was um, more intense than me. He's a nice guy. He was, he was very intense. But I think I, I, he should be on my no list. I said, okay. I said, but you know, all you have to do is just speak up. Because the thing was, two weeks later, I shot her with Johnny, Sin, Johnny Sins outside by a pool. She was hot. She needed a break. She called cut. We call cut. I gave her water. She drank the water. She belched. She giggled. She snorted. And then we, re we resumed uh, the, the scene. The point is, this woman felt comfortable enough to me to call cut on that day. But for whatever reason, she didn't call cut when she was with Marcus. The narrative that started was, well, she was just powering through and wanted to get it over with. Okay. And that was starting to become a thing where performers would say they would just power through to get it over with. And it's like, well, no, you can't just power through and get over it. If you're having a problem, you need to speak up. 
And once that behavior started to become validated on sets that they don't have to speak up and, you know, I need to look out for things. That's where I was like, yeah, this is, this is not, this is not the business for me anymore because the rules don't make sense. So, so yeah, there was, there was that, that was, um, that would hurt because especially what you took in life, you know, yeah. but people want to blame a, a whole slew of things of the reasons why she did it. No, I know firsthand she dealt with depression. She was bipolar. She was on meds for it. She was going to a psychiatrist for it. It wasn't these things that caused her to kill herself. I mean, they might have been triggers, but ultimately August Ames decided to kill herself. No one else should be blamed for that. And people want to blame people. They want to have the, the lynch mobs and the social media mobs screaming about this person needs to be canceled and that person needs to be canceled. I'm like, no, this is, um, this is tragic, but it's not the reason why she did it. And do you remember, like, there was a, a time where there was how many porn, porn performers dying? Oh, there was a stretch I mean, of, like... There was some in the early 90s. We had Savannah who took her life and a few sure. others. I mean, after that, I mean, I really, I kind of just dropped that. I was never in it emotionally. Like, I was always checked out all the time anyway. I was in my own world. Mm -hmm. um, but I think maybe what, maybe after I quit in 2000s, early 2000s, mm -hmm. late 2000s. So there was a stretch of about 10, 12 performers what? dying. Um, yeah, from, I want to say starting around August, August Ames around, that was, that was late 2017. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, until like 2019 where another yes. one's gone and another one's gone. And it's like, well, I think there's a bigger issue at hand here. It's not, um, it, 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 I don't know. I mean, there, there, it was, it was happening a lot where, People needed help and they couldn't get it. I would think the resources and the attention should be about getting people uh, who need help, getting them help and them not taking the easy way out um, and killing themselves or, or overdosing on drugs. But that's how it was for a while. And it was kind of a wake up call. I mean, you know, for me, I, um, I was self-medicating and I was trying to understand why I was doing that for so long. And the reality was, is, I can feel people's energy, read their energies and be affected by people's energies. And it was clear as day when I was writing everyone's in memoriams, how much pain they were in. So that's when the light went on. I was like, oh, you were numbing yourself. So you didn't feel any of that. And that was, that was the reason why, why I was doing all of that as well. You know, because you're, you're feeling a lot of darkness. Yeah. It's a very tough business. And I know Brazzers is definitely like basically the place to be. Um, what would you say was the main thing that broke them and into being as mainstream as they are into being the company to work for? Well, you know, if you look at the trajectory, you know, the, the guys I started with were a bunch of frat bros who knew how to market porn on the internet. And they, once they started Pornhub and then really started blowing up and there was a presence in Montreal where they were from that was kind of squeezing them a bit because the organized crime up there is, is pretty severe. And they were starting families and they were wanting to uh, not be in anymore. So they sold to Fabian, Fabian Thalman, who then wound up buying up everything and becoming the porn monopoly. And this was around the time we were in a very bad recession and we didn't have the performer platforms back then. So basically they had all the money, they had all the sites, so they were the, the rich dudes at the strip club, you know, making it rain. And as much as everyone couldn't stand them, all of them, including myself, were jumping for money. You know, that's, that's really what it was. 
So they were, they were, they were doing that. That was, that was their thing until Fabian got arrested for tax evasion. And then third ownership took over. So, you know, you went from, they were originally Mansef, then Fabian took over, they became Manwin. And then once Fabian was arrested and then everyone started buying up his shares, the guy from RedTube and uh, Faraz Antoon and David Tassillo, they rebranded again to MindGeek. And that was when they started turning into the mainstream with putting ads in Times Square and making Pornhub a, a household name. The problem with doing that is it puts a lot of attention onto yourself. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was always a guy to keep a low profile, keep the waters around me calm because I didn't want to be out there. Hey, look at me. I'm a pornographer. No, no, no. If you do that, you're going to have the sites, you know, start going on you. I was like, no, be more in the shadows and just make your money and bank it and be smart about it. So that was, I guess, their, that was their biggest mistake. Because when you go that big and go that, go that mainstream, everyone wants to take you down. And that's ultimately what happened with them. That and greed, you know? Yeah. Greed yeah. is usually the biggest monster. I yes. think so. But um, what, is there anything that would make you come out of retirement? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've thought about it, but the truth is, you know, I, I would it would have to be someone special. It would have to be a big thing that I knew that was cool, you know, like I, I trusted them and we, and we did something fun, but you know, I, I left unceremoniously with the company because yeah. there was a lot of fuckery going on during COVID. And I think the reality was, is they knew the business was changing. They knew that the transfer of wealth was going more to the performers, which I was all for, but you have to understand I had a studio, a big, with a lot of overhead. I had, um, eight employees. I myself was not cheap. And so they probably didn't want to throw that much money towards pay sites, which is what I was working on. So, you know, they, they conjured up their reasons why we needed to part ways. And, um, and so we left and I, uh, I burned them a little bit, but I felt like there was a thing when, when they started making the narrative about girls powering through and Marcus Dupree, who I was a big advocate for, I was like, there's something, there's something wrong going on here. There's, there's something strange. Like I felt the, the, the target coming on to me. So I started making my own moves, which was like, okay, save the studio by shooting people for all, their OnlyFans. And I joined up with an OnlyFans management company and they didn't like that. So that's what caused them to want to sever the relationship. And I mean, it kind of sucks, but the truth is the ownership at the time, they tr treated everyone as replaceable and disposable. So it doesn't matter. I made them, you know, uh, a nine figures over the course of my 16 year career with them. It's like, yeah, you're not, you're not needed anymore. Fuck off. Fuck off, Vic. But I was like, okay, you guys fuck off. I'm taking the studio and everything in it. And that's really what happened. So your first AVN, was it everything that you expected it to be? Yeah, boring as shit. So boring. <laughs> like, like I couldn't, I couldn't even get through the entire, like we left halfway through. It was painful. It was absolutely painful. Like, like watching the hosts, like miss the timing of the jokes and watching people blather on about the things they say, thinking it's so important. I was like, can you please put me on my misery? Like, I got to get out of here. So we all left. It was, it was boring. Actually, Lainey asked me, I have a ticket. Do you want to go to AVN? I'm like, fuck no, I don't want to go. Like, like, why would I do that to myself? Like, I'd rather watch 
watch paint dry on a wall. I'd rather watch grass grow because it's just so boring and it goes on forever. Like, like if there's a hell, it's called AVM. <laughs> that, that's the truth. Man, it's that bad. Eh? I just know that they keep putting these, um, all these categories in. I'm like, what's going to be next? Best like bestiality? Like what will be there? Because I, when I went to the shows, it was nice. It was glamorous. It was like going to the trailer park, right? And seeing mm-hmm. people get dressed up and try to articulate on a stage and cry over the most stupid, the, like the stupidest things ever. Like, oh, oh my God, I just yeah. got best anal yeah. Okay. It's a fucking ABN. It's it's a fucking award for crying out loud. You're taking yourself way too seriously, and uh-huh. I just never understood that. So I can imagine those were long. Long. They they had food, which is okay. The food was good. The parties were fun, and getting dressed up. But it sounds like you had a really bad time. Well, it was just like I, I, it was it was torturous. It really was. I was like. Man, and I was like, if people want to go to this year after year, like, like fans want to spend money to go to this thing, like, yeah. like no, dude, like, like go get a hooker, go get some blow, like have fun. Don't go to AVN because it really sucks. That's my opinion. I, I, I don't care about saying it because I say plenty in my book about how it was. Even when I was nominated for things, it's like I'm yeah. not going. I'm not going. I, I just, I'm not going to win anyway because you know. It, Let's let's be real. It's who's yeah. paying for the advertising. That's who gets the awards. Not because of how great the, the, the movie is. It really is. It's the truth. Oh, Fishbine, what a little fuckhead he was. And I'm sorry, I know he's a fellow <laughs> he's a fellow Tuchus man, a fellow yeah. Tuchus, fellow Jewish <laughs> yeah. person. What mm. a fucked heart. So I went on Gary Shan- uh, Gary Shandling's show uh-huh. and um I guess the company I was under contract to called him and said, now could you put her on the cover? She just got on Jer- Gary Shandling. Oh, well, it would have to be her, wouldn't it? It's like, fuck you. Seriously? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just never understood. Yeah, maybe I was a little bit of a bitch, but whatever. It just, it was different back then, I guess. But I always knew it was about the politics. Like, you'll never get, I got a couple of awards, but I knew what it was all about. And he's such like a whiny, short little wishy-washy. Nebish is the word. Nebish. Nebish is a word. Nebish is Nebish is a short little dorky um person. Yeah, that's a nebish. Now you're insulting dorks, but I get it. See, you and I should get married. You see, you'll have no one else to give your money to. I'll take your money. I'm a shiksa. I know some Jewish uh-huh. terminology. It's it's perfect. Um <laughs> Wait, are you like a are you a boob guy or an ass guy? Um, I'm more of a booty guy. I am. I am. I like the butt better. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, look, I'm happy with, with anything look, the chemistry has got to be there. The sex has got to be there. Uh, it's got to be earth shattering. Cause if not, I can handle it on my own. You know, I, at this point, this is the thing about my romantic life. So back then, you know, it was, it was, it was like so easy and so effortless, you know, like talk about EVN and walking the convention, you know, I would, I would walk. And I would I would see someone, hey, how are you? What's going on? And say hello, and then walk away. And then my phone would go off, and they would text me, hey, um, I'm off in about ten minutes. You want to go upstairs in my room and fuck? And I'd be like, why? Yes, I would love to go to your room and fuck, and that would be great. And that's how easy it was. But here's the thing: well, when you have sex with people who have sex for a living and they're and they're professionals, the sex is going to be pretty outstanding, even if it is. A performance of sorts, and but but when you have someone who's got ten thousand hours of dick mastery under their belt, it's going to be a good experience. It is. Now here's the deal. So now that I'm away from porn, 
I'm back into the civilian well, and that's fine. And some women are like, you're taking way too long to get to know me. Like, I really just want to bang. And I'm like, well, that's not how I roll anymore. I'm, I'm more just like, I want to, I, like, I, I want to be sure it's going to be, first of all, that you're not psycho. And second of all, uh, that it's going to be, you know, uh, an amazing experience because you've got big shoes to fill. Like you really do. And it's, it could be intimidating for your, your average woman. So the, 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 the Vic of, of, of three, four years ago, vastly different from who I am today because it's, it's just, it's changed. It's changed since I've been out of it. It's really wild to really think of it, but I'm happy. It's okay. So. Well, how many dates does someone have to go on before they could fuck you finally? Seriously. <laughs> not going to be mean, that fast. Like, wow. Well, so, okay. So I've had tons of sex that has been mediocre. Well, what are we doing here? We don't want mediocre sex. Like we want sex that's going to shake the walls and be like, okay, you're a keeper. You're, you're actually someone I want to be with. And, you know, look, I've had a lot of PTSD with sexual experiences with, um, on with bad hygiene and things like that. So I'm a little, yes, exactly. I'm a little hesitant. So I'm, you know, we kind of broach those subjects, you know, we poke around the issue a little bit. Like, do you know about boric acid? Do you know what happens if you go a little funky and, you know, how to remedy that. Like we have these talks, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. I've turned into a prude, ironically enough. It's no, hilarious. How many dates till you put out? Seriously. Like, let's say you and I didn't know each other. Okay. Let's say you didn't, I wasn't psycho or anything. Hypothetically. Uh, then we were going, like how many dates till I could actually get you with your pants down in my bedroom? Well, it could, it could happen on the first night. If, if the chemistry is there, if I see it, like, I'll know, I will know right away if it's like this is going to happen and it's going to be at least decent if not great or let's just cut ties now and let's see and if i if i'm not sure that leads to second date or third date or whatever um but yeah i've, I've, had, I've had women be like yo dude i i've had to find someone else because you are not giving up the dick but i but i had a, a girl say to me she's like she's like you have a nice dick don't give your dick away you know save your dick and i was like that's actually really good advice from coming from a 22 year old. Save your dick. Okay. Like, don't waste it. And I was like, that's sage advice, young lady. Okay. I will not, I will save my dick. So that's where we are at the moment. That's it's so bizarre. Old. 22 is too old. Should be 21 or 20, 19. 22 is way here's too old. The, here's the problem, though. I mean, I have nothing. I know what to fucking talk with, talk with them about. Nothing. Like, you know, like here's this is what would happen a lot. So I, you know, you have these sexual experiences with with the girls, and then you know it's you have once, and you're like, okay, that was great. Let's let's do it again. And I would cook them dinner or something, and then you start talking, and you're like, oh shit, we got nothing to talk about. Like there's nothing in common here. So what do we do besides you know have sex? And like it, it, it for me, it it kind of loses its luster pretty quickly. You know, so I'm I'm kind of a a cerebral man here. So unless there's something to talk about and some interest, it gets, it gets mundane after a while, unfortunately. So nowadays it's really questionable about where our meat is coming from with people like Bill Gates and everyone else screwing up our farm produce. So I decided to try my freeze dried beef because it's the freshest beef ever. 
at freedomfirstbeef.com. If you go to freedomfirstbeef.com, they have freeze-dry 100% organic beef and put in the code JASMINE, J-A-S-M-I-N, for 15% off. Yeah, good to know. No psychos. Like, I just wonder, like, why I have our time going on dates. But I guess telling guys I like to cut men and have sex with them on their own blood doesn't really, like, translate as normal to some people. So, um, no, seriously. So what do you see yourself doing, aside from promoting the book? And I think Lainey is really great at this. She's getting you out there with this book. What else is in store for you in the next few years? So I was kind of bit with the acting bug a little bit when I was um, (laughs) – did you see the trailer that I that I made for the yes. book? Okay. So that was initially supposed to be um, a feature of, of sorts. And it was something that I wanted to shoot before I sold my studio. Because in my mind, I had two studios over the course of my career. Yet all of the movies ended with a facial. That was all I shot. And I, I thought, shame on you if you don't do something creative before you, you vacate. Because I'm a creative person. It was suppressed a lot shooting porn because, you know, porn can be soul crushing at times. So we shot this thing and I really got bit by the acting bug. And then when I started recording the audiobook, uh, which was a 40 day recording process because there was a lot to get through and mm-hmm. I didn't want to overextend myself when you're recording because you can hear it in the voice. I mean, I'm a production guy. This is, this is my background. I wanted it to be perfect. Sometimes I would wake up two o'clock in the morning because I liked the way my voice sounded and I would record as much as I could and then I would edit it that day. But when it came time to re- to uh, record my alter ego, which are you familiar? You've you've read about him, you know, the alter ego in the book. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of weird. That was yeah, that was the, yeah, that was the performance. I mean, I got out of my my closet sweating bullets when I was recording that because, you know, you're giving it your all. So I think the next phase is um, the girl who directed the thing that is kind of languishing in the editing room. Um, she 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 produces and directs for a company in LA that does low budget productions. So I think the next thing is I'm going to do is I'm going to write a script. I have an idea and we're going to shoot that. And I'm going to, I told her, I said, look, I'm kind of burned out on the producing and the directing. And I'm kind of a hyper obsessive person anyway. Anything I do, especially creative, it's going to have every every part of my fiber in this performance. So I think we're going to do a little movie making, but writing it and then also acting in it. I think that's what's going to happen next. I'm just keeping my eyes out for, for any good experience. What I know I don't want to do is work a boring job with people I hate because, well, it wasn't boring, but a job I hated or eventually hated with people I didn't like, that's never going to happen again because time is too precious. So we'll have to see. I live in an interesting town, Vegas. A lot can happen in here. I can meet interesting people. People are enjoying the book. They really are. And these 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 connections, these bridges, they're being built. So day by day, we'll see what happens. It's it's you can't plan too far in the future. I don't know if you're gonna be here. And what are your three takeaways from the book? Uh besides okay, that I'm grateful to be alive, number one, because that that could have actually I could have died at any point during it. Um, the biggest takeaway was I know why I was medicating so much and I'm very happy the fact that I was able to translate exactly what I wanted to release to the world in the form of the book. This is exactly what I wanted to release from cover to cover, from inside all the way out. 
every word, every phrase, everything was exactly what I wanted to. So in that sense, I, I birthed a product that I'm very proud of and that people are actually enjoying, despite it being disgusting at times. <laughs> and I want to know is... You said you said there was things that, that that were hard for you. I'm kind of curious about those. Oh, okay. Well, um, I just you know sometimes when you read the graphic things of what's going on in a scene, like when you're talking about the orgy and everything, then you're talking about the whole thing with the enemas and preparing for like an anal scene, which the girls did back in the day. They did an enema, then having certain diets. Like I just didn't eat. Like I don't really eat that much anyway, um, unless I'm enjoying a meal with someone. But I have no desire to eat on a fucking porn set. It was like that whole thing. And just thinking of the whole smell in the room. If you have that one person who shit all over a guy's dick, like just it starts bringing, it doesn't traumatize me. Okay. Uh, nothing traumatizes me. Trust me. I'm just like sitting there thinking of the whole thing. Like, oh God, this shit again. Okay. All right. Then you think of orgies. You think of like all those old John Tebow movies, you know, and seeing like Ron Jeremy's fucking belly. I didn't work with him just for the record. I never worked with Ron Jeremy in a porn film. He may have been in some films that I was in, but his mm -hmm. penis has never touched me. I just got to make that clear. There are some standards. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. I could just think of the whole thing and then the whole Brazzers. And, you know, the only thing that might be semi-traumatizing is just the how how irresponsible people are for allowing people in the business to go there and just set people up and push this as a safe space, safe space. People like that make the business look really bad. And, oh, someone's abused because they've been in porn. Oh, my God, this happened. Okay, yeah, you're dealing with people from the other side of the tracks. We get that. But everyone has a different story. Okay? And, you know, some people have trauma with money. Some people have trauma with this, with that. For the mainstream media to just go out there and just push it into this whole way that, oh, you know, people are abused, they're doing that. People are um, very, they're taken advantage of and all this stuff. It just, it's just bullshit. And then when, you know, I'm reading about this and I'm seeing the whole thing about Brazzers, when I think of Brazzers, I think of Me Too. I think of, um, I think of someone that got taken advantage of by some stupid performer. Like, that's what I think of when I think of Brazzers. It's not a positive mm -hmm. thing, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. I'm sure they're wonderful people to work for. Uh, I'm sure they're lovely people, but I just, that's what I think of when I think of Brazzers. Oh, the guys that let some stupid girl performer get in there and accuse some guy of this, this, and this. Yeah, okay. I'm glad I'm not in porn anymore. I probably would have been yeah. within the first day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, well, look, the, the, the reality is, is that I have no idea who the new owners are because they're now in fourth ownership and they've been <laughs> rebranded yeah rebranded into alo which is you know what's worse mind geek or alo bad fucking names they could have just call yourself porn monopoly okay let's just let's just call yourself that um i don't know who those people are but i could tell you third ownership i wouldn't call them good people i knew mm -hmm. they were greedy pigs i knew they were not good people but i also knew that i could keep the job going if i kept feeding them their slop which is exactly what I did. Um, the guys now, I don't know. I would like to know. To be honest with you, they have this Brazzers Hall of Fame. And the truth is, they've erased me from the annals of Brazzers history, yeah. which is Why? kind of uh, just because I our departure, our divorce was not a good one. So they're pretending that I wasn't there. So there should be a movement. Let's start the movement. Vic Legina should be in Brazzers Hall of Fame. Like, we should, we should get this going. Okay, um, I'll we do should, it. We should, we should pick it in front of uh, AVN, you know, holding okay. signs. I'll do yeah, it. Let's, 
Awesome. Yeah. No, I'm not joking. Like I, I pick and I rally. Trust me. Like the producer of the show knows like the places I've rallied and shit I've had shut down. Mm. I had a drag queen story hour shut down in the middle of it. And I also caused, I chased that guy down the street too. Cause he was a sexual, mm. he's a predator and they didn't run mm. a background check on him. And I chased him down the street to his car. So when I go for something like you want to get the message here, I'm going to go out there, get Vic Legina into the um, Brazzers Hall of Fame. You should be there. It's an insult for them not to have you there. And it shows you, uh, look, WWE Hall of Fame didn't want to have China in there by herself mm -hmm. because Stephanie McMahon was spreading her legs to, uh, you know, to break up that marriage or that relationship with Triple H and her. So they wouldn't mm -hmm. put China in there. Even though she basically broke all kinds of new grounds for female wrestling, it's always about that stuff. Like, I don't give a fuck. Um oh. So, yeah, we should pick it out there. And I think fans should also be out there hashtagging Vic Legina, Vic Legina in the Brazzers Hall of Fame and make a big deal out of it. Because the more people get loud and the louder we get is the better it is. And that's when you make your point. It's very disrespectful. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Let's start the movement. Because the truth is, look, we ended badly, but that doesn't mean we can't mend fences and be like, okay. Uh, we're we're now turning the page. The truth is, you know, I detail the relationship of my my last girlfriend, and we did a lot of fucked up shit, a lot of cheating, a lot of lying, a lot of things like that. But I, me and her, have a wonderful relationship right now, and we're the best of friends. We're like the old married couple that got divorced and are still friendly. You know, uh, I have lemon trees out in my backyard that she gave hand jobs for for a dude who had a nursery, and I was like, she told me this. After we broke up, like, or we became friends again. And I'm like, yeah. And I was like, but I was doing my crazy shit. I was, you know, with her, but, you know, doing cocaine and having sex with porn stars in hotel rooms. And it was, it was completely, uh, we had our good moments, but we also had our bad moments. But the point is, forgiveness is possible. Okay. If I can be friends with her, we can still love each other despite all of that. I don't want to marry her. Because uh, I don't want that to ruin the good things we have. Um, but but we're really good friends. You know, she's she's a great wingman. She she's she's hooked me up with her friends, her her twenty year old like coworkers. I'm like, what a woman, right? It's it's a wonderful thing. But the point is, yeah, I would love to mend the fences with them because we did have history. I did put them on the map, despite them wanting to erase me from existence. So maybe we should all be the better people, and you know get over that hump and we start acknowledging one another and, and, and smoking the peace pipe. I love that. It, it would be nice, but if they don't want to do that because they're um, arrogance or otherwise, well, I guess we, we crack out the picket, the picket and we start picking yeah, the outside of it. <laughs> yeah. I've got a riot going, man. Don't underestimate me. I mean, people all look, I, Rob Black and I became friends again and I started working for him. After I, I quit working there in 99, mm -hmm. I just didn't show up one day. And we never spoke yeah. since then until like nearly two years ago. So yeah. you never say never, but honestly, it is an insult. And Brazzers, be the bigger people. Be be classy. I know that sounds weird, but be classy. Be 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 grateful for crying out loud. And put Vic Legina in your Hall of Fame because I think he deserves it. I know everyone else does too. Well, thank you very much. You know, I have a funny story. Uh, I remember listening and hearing you on Howard Stern back in the er in the early aughts and all that. Uh -huh. But I saw you. I saw you once at a post office. I want to say it was around the Marina Del Rey area. And yeah, you know, not it me. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not weird. I was like, 
It's Jazz from St. Clair. Okay, that's cool. So that was my my little my little story I have of you when I when I saw you back in L.A. during that time. That was when I was with my girlfriend and failing miserably in L.A. before I went to Miami and became a porn success. So that was that was it. I wanted to share that little anecdote, even though it's uneventful. Wait, which? Okay, so yeah, I I get my mail there still. There was a UPS store. It was a mailbox, etc. And there's also a mm. post office, which is a really big one. I used to go there to ship out eBay items. Okay, so I was that post. I was probably sending out a script that I was hoping to make with some producer or production company or whatever. Yeah, when, that was when I was accumulating my debt that got me into porn in the first place. So yeah, we. Uh, I was like, she's small in stature, but but really, I could tell big and in personality and fire. Like I, I, I could just tell that. Even though you were just standing there doing your, just put giving your, giving giving them your your, your package. I remember that. Was, was I nice? Did I seem crazy? No, you you were you were very. It was it was it was just standing there, and I was like, it was it was just. I'm tall, and I was I was much taller than you from from just looking at it. But I was like, okay, you know, LA's LA's fun like that. You just you see people that you uh, you know of, and it's like, oh, that happened. That actually happened. So okay, it was a good experience. Thank God. Okay, yes. now I feel better about this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I like. I'm sure if I like was like, oh, hey, Jasmine, can I have an autograph? I probably would have gotten some kind of uh, different response. But I'm not like that at all. No, it would have been I'm nice. Respectful. It just depends what I'm doing, like where I am. Like coming up to me at the mall with my mom with a right. Ghostbusters shirt on and harassing me <laughs> with my mother, and I'm telling you, I'm with my mom. That's mm -hmm. like it was cute for like the first second, but after that, I was I got really pissed at this guy. He followed us into the restaurant. And like was outside, I got really, mm. really mad. I'm like, dude, I'm with my mother. Like, w w what are we doing here? Yeah, okay, that's I'll weird. Stalkers. You have to like just leave us alone. He came back yeah. around after and was like walking around, but he had a magazine in his hand too. So some people carry shit in their cars. Mm. <laughs> if that okay. makes sense. So that's why yeah. like I kind of swayed away from like I still I love doing this podcast. Then I did my conservative podcast. So I get like. It's a very interesting mix of people that come into mm -hmm. the whole sphere of Jasmine. It's a very sure. odd mix, like especially when I go to events sometimes, like the real Christian events. It's very uh -huh. interesting, like who recognizes you? Okay, are you watching deathmatch wrestling? Are you watching porn? Or where mm -hmm. is it? Was it heavy metal music? Because I had a show for a while. So sure. it's just these weird subcultures of people, but we're all in it somehow. Um, sure. I want fans to be able to find you on your socials. And let's start the hashtag Vic Legina to the Brazzers Hall of Fame. What's your, what are your socials? So at Vic Legina. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter. Um, and then my website, viclegina.com, where you can see the trailer that I mentioned before. There are boobies in it. So check out the boobies and then, and then enjoy the rest. Boobies is what always gets them there. Um, but that's how you can order. You can order the prints. You can order the digital, or you can order a signed copy, or you can listen on the audiobook on Spotify. I'm very proud of the audiobook, and I've I've listened to it in its entirety. I'm like, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of all of it. I I'm happy with how it came how it came out because the goal was never just to release a book. It had to be good, or it had to be great. Otherwise, don't bother, bury it. And I felt I did that, and I'm I'm proud of it. I'm happy it was out. The fun the fun is. Watching my father read it <laughs> uh, at, at Thanksgiving, I presented him. Now, my, here's a funny story. My father, this, this part's not funny, but he had a stroke early last year and it affected his memory and things like that and his speech. 
but he could not put my book down at all. Um, and I was like, well, this is good. It's stimulating his brain. But I'm like, he's reading about his son doing cocaine with porn stars. Isn't that awkward? But this was the awkward shit that I loved writing about. Like, that was the fun part. And then his wife is reading it. <clears throat> I had no idea you were doing so many drugs. Were you high when you were with us? And I'm like, no, I was actually uh, straightening myself out. You know, I would come home because I was like getting off the bender and trying to straighten myself out. So she's reading about all that stuff as well. And I'm like, oh, this is such a great world. I like I lean into the weird and awkward. I I, I love that. It's fun. Um, but that was that was fun for me. It was fun watching my father read my book, my book about all the tales of of filth and, and, and debauchery. It was great. I love it. I love it. It's just great. You know, I think the first time my mom saw me on TV, it's when I did a National Lampoon movie. I was topless running around the cabin. Richard Real played my husband. He was on Columbo and like office space. But then she goes and like she watches other shows that I was on. When she saw me on The Deuce, I think she was really happy because she thinks James mm -hmm. Franco is cute. So mm -hmm. it was like it was OK then, you know, but National Lampoon, I always wanted to do like I all I had to be in a National Lampoon movie when I was a teenager. So making it That's happen, great. like if you hope for it, it'll happen. And, you know, you're definitely a good case of someone who works very hard and puts it out there, but you actually do the actions and people, it's not only about manifestations and all that stuff. You've got to get off your fucking ass and go work mm -hmm. and put in a hundred percent every day. Even if you don't do everything you're supposed to in one day, just try to get it the next. That's really what it comes down to. Right. But be Amen. 100%. I, I love that. I love that. Yes. Mazel yes. top to that. Thanks so much for tuning in to another week of Crazy Train Podcast with moi.